2: Hello, and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz, and I am joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the guy who loves to cast a good old-fashioned crater-hoof behemoth. That's Matt Morgan. Joey, if you want to be an organ donor, you got to have a lot of guts. Oh, goodness. That is definitely, definitely true. (laughs) Next, the guy who loves to counter-spell those uh, good old-fashioned crater-hoof behemoths. That's Dana Roach. Uh, By the time
1: this show airs, Oka will have gotten banned, even in historic that's not even a real format, I don't think. I think that's entirely made up. So at this point, it's legal in what? Commander, Legacy, and Yu Gi Oh! Um, Oko getting banned in Yu Gi
2: Oh! Yu Gi Oh! would be amazing. Absolutely amazing.
1: <laughs> anyway, this is the
2: EDH Rec Cast. EDH Rec is a deck building website that collects data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. What we like to do here on the podcast is give all that data a little bit of context. Before we begin, I want to give a huge thanks to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone who are handling all the post-production work on our podcast, providing all of the statistics and the amazing graphics that you're seeing now. They do such great work, and we are so happy that their professionalism was able to enhance the podcast to this whole new level. And I also want to thank our sponsors for the show. Those are Card Kingdom and TCG Player, who provide up-to-date price information for all the cards that you are seeing on EDHREC. So if you find a card that you think you might want to buy, you can just click on the price link below that card to go right to one of their online stores to pick it up. These are really, really great services to get the cards that you need, and we just can't thank them enough for providing that information uh, for really easy reference for all of our users, and for sponsoring EDHREC and the cast as well. So if you decide to uh, buy from one of them, that would be awesome to show your support for the show, and if you specifically buy from Card Kingdom, you you can actually visit cardkingdom.com/edhrec that will directly tell them that we sent you to them. So thanks again to Card Kingdom and to TCG Player. So now on to the main show. Fellas, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about the most unique Commanders in every color combination. Indeed. So whenever you look at a Commander's page, you will see the top cards, which are, of course, the most popular cards for that Commander. But more important than the top cards are the high-synergy cards. We've discussed this on a previous show. The high-synergy scores are a marker of how popular that card is, contrasted with how unpopular that card is for other Commanders. So in other words, a high-synergy card is a card that is popular for that Commander and a card that is unique for that Commander commander as well which kind of got us wondering what commander has the most unique cards so today we are looking through all of the color combinations every guild every shard every wedge from colorless to five color to find the statistically most unique
1: commanders right so so how we organize the data here, um, rather than going through the arduous process of averaging out synergy scores and things like that, we just went with a simple metric. We looked at the commander's top 100 cards, um, and then marked how many of those cards do not appear on the commander page for other commanders in the same color combination. So, for example, we said um, this random Golgari commander has a uniqueness score of 10. And that means 10 of the top 100 cards for that commander don't appear on the commander page for any other Golgari commander. So the lower that number, the less cards they have that appear on those other pages.
0: And so this is going to kind of harken back to episode 99 as well, as well, where we discuss the highest and lowest variance different commanders, but we're going to restrict ourselves to the same parameters there, have to have at least 100 decks in the database. So if you have something that only has 68 decks to its name, for example, we're not really going to include that in the data. There's just not enough there for it to really matter a whole lot. So we want to make sure that we're, we're giving you data that actually means a whole lot. And then we're also going to exclude partners again this time, Just the way that we find partner decks, it's really hard to measure the data, and so we want to make sure everything was as clean as possible, so you won't see any partner decks here either.
2: Yeah, the two commanders just messes with the algorithm algorithm quite a lot. And like you mentioned, if it has less than 100 decks, it just also kind of isn't necessarily as representative. Like if all of the cards are super unique, but it only has one deck on the website, that's not necessarily useful information. So that 100 card threshold is indeed what we're looking for. So without further ado, let's get started on looking at the most unique commanders from different color combinations. We're going to start with colorless, so Dana take it away. What is
1: the most unique colorless commander? So the most unique colorless commander is also the newest truly colorless commander, and that's Hope of Jirapur. it has 17 unique cards in the deck. So that means, like we said before, 17 cards in the top 100 list for Hope of Cheeriper don't appear in the top 100 of any other colorless commander. Um, I think that's also the lowest uniqueness number we have on any of these cards we're going to look at. Which would make a whole lot of sense because the, color,
2: the, the card pool for a colorless deck is already really, really limited. And I think it makes a lot of sense too that Hope of would be the one to get the uh, uniqueness trophy here for all of the colorless stuff because most of the other options that you have for colorless commanders are a lot of Eldrazi, which probably share a pretty big pool of cards between them.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the other colorless decks tend to be Eldrazi decks and those Eldrazi decks, just by virtue of the fact that they all cost... You know, 11, 12, 13 mana, um, and tend to run other Eldrazi that cost a ton of mana. Those decks almost always run every conceivable mana rock they can run. In this case, your commander costs one, you just don't need nearly as many mana Mm. rocks. And because Hope is basically a 1-1 with evasion, it's a very small body, your win condition oftentimes in that deck is equipment to suit up the Hope of Jirapur, and you just don't generally see swords or things of that nature in an Eldrazi deck either. So there's there's a few things that set it apart from most other colorless decks.
2: That makes a whole lot of sense. All right, let's move on through the color pie. Next up is white. Matt, what is the most unique white commander?
1: So Tashar has
0: 396 decks to their name, number 222 overall, and has a uniqueness score of 39, which again means that 39 of Tashar's top 100 cards are completely unique to only Tashar. Don't show up in any other white commander top staple lists.
2: That's a really interesting one. Tashar is probably one of my favorite mono white uh, commander card designs and uh, we've discussed in previous shows I think it's kind of a shame that it came out in Dominaria actually because there were so many legends from Dominaria that Tashar's uniqueness kind of got buried a little bit. Tashar provides a really interesting and I think very meaningful form of card advantage to a mono white deck that you don't necessarily see represented in a lot of the other offerings from mono white such as Audric or other commanders like that that are a lot more combat focused
0: yeah i, I agree 100 the way that Tishar was just narrow enough to be interesting but not too narrow where it, you kind of block out a lot of different options it's really cool to have you know white care about historic spells and resurrecting things from the graveyard i was really impressed uh, i brewed up a Clark uh, clan ironworks deck where we just combo out with a bunch of artifact creatures and we're bringing them back it's a really fun deck, and it's a. Re- I 100% agree. It's kind of like what we said about Miri. If Miri showed up in a not pre con, the deck would look very different. If Tashar showed up in a set that didn't have 872 different legends in the sets, like Dominaria did, it wasn't really that many, but it was close. I think Tishar would be very, very much more popular.
2: All right, we're moving on now to the most unique Mono Blue Commander. This one has a uniqueness score of 28. That is. Patron of the Moon. This is a 7-mana legendary creature, Spirit. It is a 5-4, and it has a really weird ability called Moonfolk Offering, so you can actually sacrifice a Moonfolk to help negate a little bit of its mana cost. It has flying and a weird activated ability where you can pay 1 mana of any type to put up to 2 land cards from your hand into play tapped. Really, really interesting one here that is using a lot of those Moonfolk from the Kamigawa set... Kind of a mono blue landfall deck, which I think is the main reason why it's going to be the most unique commander out of all of the other mono blue stuff. You're not seeing a lot of control elements along the lines of, you know, a rant for example, or, you know, some of the legendary Sphinxes with all of their, you know, amazing shenanigans with card draw and weird riddles and stuff like that. Instead, you've got landfall, which is much more associated with colors
1: like green. So it makes it a very unique commander indeed. It's also a pretty generically useful ability. So almost anything you want to do in Mono Blue that doesn't have a commander that kind of lends itself to doing that thing, this is probably a commander you could run that's going to do that unique, weird thing that nothing else wants to do, and it's still going to generate you value.
2: Yeah, and it synergizes really well with a lot of the uh, the Soratami cards from that Kamigawa set, which allow you to return lands for extra benefit, including things like countering spells. Uh, so that can actually be a really good way to make sure that those effects can keep your hand stocked full of cards, for any Kamigawa cards that care about that, but also allow you to return lands to hand for cool effects and then put them right back into play while also getting landfall strategies. So it's a really, really strange one there, but definitely a one uh, a commander with a strategy that i can indeed call very unique that is not what i would expect from a mono blue deck for sure all right up next is the color black
1: what we got yeah the most unique uh mono black commander is king makar the gold cursed from the original theros block Uh, king makar is a 2-3 legendary human and king makar is inspired so whenever king makar the gold cursed becomes untapped you may exile target creature If you do, put a colorless artifact token named Gold onto the battlefield, and that has sacrifice as artifact, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So it's essentially a treasure token that doesn't have to tap to be used up. Um, King Makar has a uniqueness rating of 47, which is relatively high. Um, My guess for why this is, is... Oftentimes that's used as a vehicle's commander, since it gives you a way to tap King Makar without having to swing into, you know, what in Commander is oftentimes a field full of giant bodies. It gives you a way to tap the the card to then untap it later on and use the ability to make the gold token, et cetera. Um, and because it makes gold tokens that are artifacts, it does get used sometimes in like an artifact-centric strategy too, which is something you just never see in mono black. Oh, for sure. The vehicles,
2: I love that because that's a great way to get King Makar tapped. Although I am still frustrated that King Makar is a May ability, because to be truly flavorful, it shouldn't be a May ability, because that's the hand of Midas, and that means it, it has to turn things to gold, right? So like, that is still very frustrating to my inner Vorthos, gotta say.
0: Well, I think you'll get over it, and, and I'll help you get over it just by moving on to the next commander. So next up, we have Mono Red. We're gonna talk about Zozu the Punisher it's one red red for a legendary goblin warrior pretty simple here whenever a land comes into play Zozu the Punisher deals 2 damage to that land's controller if you want to punish your friends Zozu's perfect way to do it
2: yeah really cool uniqueness of 36 on Zozu and I think I can see why I associate mono red with a lot of explosiveness uh stuff like Neheb's and whatnot that provide you with huge oodles of mana to deal tons and tons of damage but Zozu is a lot more carefully measured in the way that it deals pain to everyone which means that things are going to be a a lot different for that type of Punisher style and it won't be quite as explosive as I would normally expect from like the Perforoses of the world for example which have a lot more alacrity to them as opposed to Zozu which is a a bit more like subtle well I guess maybe it's not too subtle because it's definitely dealing a lot of damage but it's over a much more extended period of time I guess is what I'm trying to say
0: yeah and and there's over 400 Zozu decks on the website and what I think kind of stands out is Zozu does a lot of incremental damage, but it's all stuff that you kind of choose to do to yourself. This is kind of a Sheldon memory type of you did this to yourself because there's stuff like mana barbs, where if you tap a land for mana, it deals damage to you. You don't have to tap your lands for mana, but you want to. So really, it's it's punishing players just for playing a game. It's not overly terrifying when you look at it, but then everything just adds up and is so powerful. So you have just... Every one of those types of mana barbs or harsh mentor types of effects, they get crammed into Zozu decks.
2: And it's, I think, kind of interesting to contrast something like Zozu against other really powerful commanders that we've seen, for example, like Torbrand from the Throne of Eldraine set, which is also really great with all of those Punisher-style mechanics. But again, I think that goes a bit more into some of the more traditional damage-dealing effects that we would see will also appear in a Torbrand deck because... People are just so excited to use that. Again, I'm going to use the word alacrity here, I guess. Uh, Whereas Zozu is going to be a little bit different punishing people for what they are doing. Just like you pointed out, Torben is actually a bit more proactive. And they want to be dealing the damage themselves rather than waiting for the opponent to do something that will cause them to endure some damage. So that definitely makes a lot of sense there.
1: I'm just glad that that word of the day calendar I got you for Christmas, Joey, is seeing some use. I appreciate that. Oh, my goodness. Um. (laughs) one thing I want to add here is um, a lot of the other mono red decks that we see um, you know do things like interact with goblins, um, whether it's the goblin commanders or perforos or they care about tokens and I guess a lot of goblin decks and commanders do and perforos does as well. but um, th- they do things that that this commander just doesn't ever do. so you're you're gonna see a, a real a separation between what, you're going to see, and it's also the Punisher deck, and what you're going to see in most other popular mono-red decks, and that's going to do a lot of work to affect these numbers as well. And I think that's one of the main things that we really ought to mention about why,
2: you know, knowing the uniqueness of a commander uh, necessarily, that can be really important because, uh, for example, going back to King Makar, if I'm playing against a mono black deck, I'll expect some stuff like Cabal Coffers with amazing big mana stuff to occur. I'll expect a lot of death and reanimation and King Makar is totally not going to fall into that. And that will completely betray my usual expectations of what I would think I'm going to see against a mono black deck, which means I might not be prepared for it. So using unique commanders can be a really great way to sort of trick your enemies who aren't necessarily prepared for what that commander will do compared to the years of experience they have against other commanders of those colors and what they should normally expect from those that can be a really great way to take advantage of people's expectations a little bit and make some really fun decks too all right let's move on to green now this one has a uniqueness score of 30 it is a eula queen among bears the two mana two two because of course she is she's a bear whenever other bears enter the battlefield she can either put two plus one counters onto a bear or she can have a bear fight another creature you don't control. My younger brother actually has an Ayula deck and it is glorious and I think it's no mystery why this is going to be the most unique mono green commander. None of the other mono
1: green commanders are playing any of those masses of bears. And a lot of the cards you see in this Ayula deck are cards that um, are, are genuinely terrible cards in the other deck. They're not just cards that like maybe don't entirely fit a deck strategy but people might run them. You know, They're like vanilla 2-2 bears that are Actually, absolutely terrible cards run anywhere but an Ayula deck.
0: Yeah, Ayula finds a otherwise vanilla card and turns it into something not so vanilla. But, I mean, you're playing Bear Cub and Young Bear and Baby Bear and Child Bear and any other little bear things. They don't have any text, but that Ayula finds a way to give a very specific set of cards at least some text.
2: Uh, I really can't bear talking about this anymore. So, <laughs> let's move on now out of Monocolored into the guilds our first guild is azorius which is the most unique azorius commander matt
0: so the most unique azorius commander is going to be temet vizier of noctamoon it is a azorius so just for one blue and one white for 2-2 legendary human cleric at the beginning of combat on your turn target creature token you control gets plus one plus one until end of turn and can't be blocked this turn and temet also has embalm which is uh, for three white blue and that means you can exile that card from your graveyard and create a token copy of it except it's a white zombie with no mana cost so it's it's weird because there isn't a whole lot of specific token synergies in blue and white if you have white and green maybe there's a whole bunch but in Azorius colors specifically, the, the field narrows down quite a bit. So Temet has an, a pretty high uniqueness score of 59. Ooh. That's probably the highest that we're going to see because that's that's almost an entire deck right there that... That Temet decks are playing almost exclusively.
2: Yeah, that's very, very unique because you're so used to, in Azorius, you've got stuff like Brago or Bruna, for example, which are doing very different things than unblockable tokens. So I can totally see why this one is winning on that uniqueness front for sure.
0: Yeah, I I would imagine the the regular Temet deck is 59 whatever Temet's playing, and then Cyclonic Rift,
1: Path to Exile, Swords of Plowshares, Counterspell. And you see in a Temet deck, you see things like um, batter skull mm-hmm. or scythe claw um things with living weapon basically and not that batter skull isn't a good card and scythe claw isn't a good card they're good cards but they're not the kind of thing you typically see in an azorius deck um and you know just basically anything that's going to deal with tokens at all and that's just generally not an azorius strategy especially not things that make one big token versus going wide with a bunch of tokens. So so that's what generates quite a few unique cards in this deck, I think. Yeah,
2: indeed. Very different from the typical MO for the Azorius Commanders, which are a lot more controlly and not necessarily always as attacky. All right, let's move on now to
1: Demir. What we got? The most unique Demir Commander is Rona, Disciple of Gix from Dominaria, uh, about two years ago now. Uh, legendary Creature Human Artificer, when Rona Disciple of Gix enters the battlefield, you may exile a target historic card from your graveyard. You may also cast non land cards exiled with Rona, and you can spend 4 and tap to exile the top card of your library. And Rona has a uniqueness scale of 36. So. My guess here, you know, you're doing artifact synergy kind of stuff in Demir. That's not really something that that you're doing at all with any other commander in Demir. That's just not really an artifact centric color pairing. And Rona does that, um, so I, I, I'm gonna guess that's one of the reasons it's had a pretty high uniqueness rating for sure. I will. I'm perfectly willing to admit I fully expected the most
2: unique Demir commander to be Eureka the Tiger Shadow because of all of the ninja stuff going on, but I have to also like kind of you know swallow eat some crow swallow my pride I'm not sure what the metaphor is here uh but lots of demir commanders were trying to make ninjas happen in those decks before ninjas were actually given a dedicated commander like Yuriko, so I shouldn't have been all that surprised that ninjas, uh, ninja tribal didn't become the most unique thing. Instead, we got this one, which is focusing a lot more on artifacts as opposed to a tribe, and specifically, it isn't doing stuff with the graveyard, which is huge for most demir commanders. You have a ton of mill, you've got a ton of zombies, you've got, you know, Lazav and Phoenix, for example, are doing tons of mill stuff, or you've got plenty of the Giza and Giralf or Scarab gods type of uh, zombie synergies going on. So Rona definitely doesn't fit in with any of those typical Demir camps at
1: all. And you're not just limited to, to artifacts. That's kind of the first you know thing we always jump to here when we're talking about it. But Basically, she cares about historic cards, so if you want to do, you know, a, a Legendary Creatures kind of matters thing with, with Rona, you can do that. If you want to do a Planeswalkers matter kind of thing, she can interact with Planeswalkers. There are a couple other paths you can go down if you want to go that route into Mirror. and neither of those paths are, are, are things anything else does in those colors either, so three different unique ways you can go i think that does that, that that helps quite a bit here indeed all right let's move on
2: now the next color combo is a who's our most unique rectos commander
0: our most unique rectos commander is the scorpion god so it's three in rectos colors for a six five legendary god whenever a creature dies with a minus one minus one counter you draw a card you can pay one black red to put a minus one minus one counter on another target creature and then when the scor- when the scorpion god dies, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. So it's the first time we've really seen a minus one minus one counter theme on Rakdos. Usually, you see that on something like Golgari colors, for example. So it's kind of doing something unique in that red area that we haven't seen. Really, since Lorwyn block was the last time we saw minus one, minus one counters. Yeah,
2: gotta love a place to put that Colrath Knight, for example. Um, And I think a lot of folks are really eager to find a Jund minus one, minus one thing so that they can use the Scorpion God in conjunction with Hapatra, Vizier of Poisons, because that would be a really great combination. But it totally makes sense that the Scorpion God is going to be the most unique because minus one counters is just not a thing that most Rakdos decks are concerned with all that much.
1: Yeah, you for sure don't see any overlap in that color pairs for other cards that care about what this does.
2: Alrighty, let's move on now to Gruul. Our most unique commander here is Ulrich of the Kralen Horde, the uh, really awesome, everyone loves it, werewolf tribal commander, right? Uh, no, not quite. Um, it's just... Uh, I'm, I'm still sad about this. I really am excited for them <laughs> to... <laughs> I know, even though it's been years, I'm still a little bit sad about Ulrich not being the, uh, the best for the, the werewolf tribe. It's just... Guess plus four, plus four, it can fight stuff. That's just not necessarily as interesting. But what is interesting is that Ulrich has a uniqueness score of 62. So I think that this speaks to, despite the fact that maybe folks weren't as excited at Ulrich being a werewolf tribal commander, people are still definitely putting in the effort to make it work because I would wager that a lot of the 62 uniqueness that we're seeing here is born from all of those amazing werewolf cards that don't necessarily fit in uh, with any of the other commanders. I know that other folks who want to do a werewolf tribal strategy will sometimes default to the card uh the commander rurik thar because it deals damage when people cast non-creature spells and that can discourage people from casting spells which can help you flip your werewolves a bit more frequently Um, but it doesn't seem like people are doing it enough in rurik thar to discount ulric from being the most unique gruel commander
1: this is very similar to when we talked about Ayula in mono green um there's. It's not just cards that are unique to Ulrich, in this case, werewolves. It's cards that are, in many cases, outright bad cards in another deck. Like, you're just not going to be running almost werewolves and almost any other deck and here you're gonna not only run werewolves you're gonna run some bad ones just to hit the threshold you want to hit of having x amount of werewolves in the deck so very similar thing yeah and a uniqueness
2: of 62 that is really high 62 cards that aren't showing up on the top 100 for any of the other ghoul commanders that's that's really really important right there that's a big number all right
0: rounding up the last of the ally colored pairs is selesnia what do we got so we have sigarda heron's grace uh, so of course I'm going to steal this one from you. Sorry guys. Uh, but 3 in Slesnia colors, so green and a white for a 4/5 legendary angel with flying. You and humans you control have hexproof. You can also pay 2 and exile a card from your graveyard to put a to put a 1/1 one, one white human soldier creature token onto the battlefield. So it cares about tokens, but it's narrowed down pretty specifically to just humans. So you see a, a you know throughout the deck Mostly humans are coming up in Sigarda Heron's Grace, a uniqueness score of thirty, which means probably twenty or so of those creature tokens that are going to be humans probably show up in a lot of Celesnia decks. But then the most, you know, meat of the deck that's going to be fairly unique to Sigarda Heron's Grace.
2: Indeed, we have a lot of aura stuff, a lot of token stuff, actually, definitely happening in the Slesnia colors. But the specification of human has to be one of the things that makes this Sigarda so much more unique and. Uh, not, not the other Sigarda. Sigarda, host of herons, the one that has hexproof and is really good as an, you know, a Voltron strategy. That's the one that I initially thought it was when we first started making these show notes. But no, that one is not the most unique. It's the other printing of Sigarda that cares about those human tokens.
1: And I would guess if this Sigarda said like elves instead of humans or something, it wouldn't be on the list. Um, but the fact is, there's really nothing in these colors that specifically cares about humans for the most part, at least not that's that's popular, whereas there are multiple commanders in Celestine that care about elves. So, yeah, that's that humans makes the difference here. Yeah. Alright, let's move on now to the
2: enemy color pairs. Things get interesting here because we've got another tribe, another commander that cares about tokens. We're looking at Orzhov, and the most unique Orzov commander with a uniqueness score of 52 is Ariel Knight of Windgrace, a four-mana a human Knight. It is a 4-4 with Vigilance that can tap to create knight tokens and can tap your knight tokens to destroy other creatures with power less than the number of knights that you tap along with it. Orzhov Knight Tribal is a whole lot of fun and they only got better with all of those cards from Throne of Eldraine, so that's a Pretty great to, to see, to be honest. Um, I do like a lot of the stuff that's showing up on the Ariel uh, list here, and I have to imagine that it's going to be way different than the stuff that you would see on the typical Orzov commander because Orzov usually is obsessed with life gain. That's a lot more popular for all of the other cast of Orzov commanders that we've got out there.
1: Caring about knights and these color pairs is fairly unique to this commander, kind of like how we saw with Sagarda and humans um, a few minutes ago. It's a tribe that just nothing else in Orzov really cares about them. And since this card does, you're going to see knights in this deck in a way that you aren't seeing them in other black-white commander decks. Funny enough, I had fully expected the most unique Orzhov
2: commander to be Arvad the Cursed because it pumps up all of your legendary creatures, and I thought that that would be a really really unique thing for the uh, Orzhov color combination to do, but I actually have a theory as to why that might not be. Because there is a lot of overlap in the strategies for different Orzhov commanders, a lot of the Tases do a lot of the same death things, for example, a lot of the life gain commanders tend to run other life gain commanders in those same decks. I expect that that's why Arvad isn't necessarily as unique as I thought he would be, because a lot of Orzhov decks are all already running a lot of other legendary creatures in conjunction because they overlap with those commanders similar interests anyway so that's probably why it doesn't show as highly as the singular night tribal all right let's move on now what do we got next
0: so next up for the is it colors we have joyra of the gitu not quite joy rather weatherlight captain but we have the original one uh, so this joyra is one in is it colors so a blue and a red for a two two human wizard has the ability of pay two mana exile a non-land card from your hand you put four time counters on the exiled card. If it doesn't have suspend, it gains suspend and then suspend every upkeep. You remove one of those time counters off of there and then you get to cast it without paying its mana cost once that last time counter comes off. So you see this and you think, well, oh my gosh, that's two mana and you can just suspend Eldrazi and all these massive spells. And the typical Is it deck isn't really doing that. That's why Joyra has a uniqueness score of 47, which is a pretty measurable number right there because most it decks aren't doing these massive Eldrazi things, they're maybe doing artifacts or other smaller effects.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. I associate it with spell slinging. I do not oh. associate it with Eldrazi. And worse than that, sometimes the Jora decks will occasionally suspend a land destruction spell and then the Eldrazi. So in the same turn or following one right up after the other, they will destroy all of the lands and then plop an Eldrazi into play. And no one can stop it because no one has mana to do it anymore. jora can be nasty in ways that Izzet decks are usually already pretty nasty, but just in a non-spell sort of way.
0: Yeah, I... I- this is one of the reasons that I don't like Is it. They just they cheat things in too Matt, you, too you obvious have an Izzet ways. Deck. Too obvious. You have to be sneaky about the cheating that you're doing. You have an Is it deck. Come on, Mister. I do. I I don't <laughs> don't rub it in. I know. You you'll want to be Mr. Seles and
2: you're real, real bad, but sometimes <laughs> sometimes the the other you gotta do something a little bit different. I totally get it. But
0: I, I do have a few blue decks. <laughs> so don't don't let it go to your head. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what?
2: I, I am going to let it go to my head a little bit because the next color combination is that we're talking about is Golgari, which is my personal favorite, so I just want to linger. I want to savor this one. Dana, what's our most unique Golgari commander? The most unique
1: Golgari commander is Glissa the traitor. Glissa is a zombie elf with first strike and death touch, and she has the ability, whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, You may return a artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. I think this is another one of those pretty clear examples where nothing else at all in Golgari cares about artifacts or cares about recurring artifacts, especially. So it's a very, very unique thing in this color pair that makes people run cards in a Glissa deck that just aren't going to show up in any other commander deck um, in the green black pairing
2: it's so weird to see a green commander that cares actively cares about artifacts that just feels wrong in my head and
1: Glissa has a uniqueness rating of 54 which is even higher than we saw over and is it with um joira and I, I think one of the reasons we also see that here in addition to artifacts being unique in this this color pair um is a zombie elf um you know there's not a lot of elf Uh, elf legends in black green. So if you want to do something like an elf tribal deck, that's going to be relatively unique to this color pair in terms of the cards you run in the Glissa deck. If you wanted to do zombies, there's not a ton of of black green zombie decks out there. So this lets you build zombies in this color pair. And again, you're just, you're not going to see a ton of other commanders that are going to run some of those zombie tribal centric cards. Well, and
0: something interesting, Dana, I remember you and I both had a Glissa the Traitor deck and we compared our lists and our lists were pretty pretty distinct too there wasn't a whole lot of overlap maybe a few cards here and there but we were playing glissa and they were both fairly unique
1: to each other much like glissa is fairly unique to the rest of golgari decks yeah i I think when we when we compared our decks matt um we had less than 20 cards in common than the two of us so so we were very separate from one another, even with the same commander. That that sounds about
2: right, yeah. Very nice. But the thing that's important to remember is that Glissa does care about the graveyard, which is what everyone should be doing. All hail Golgari. It's the best color combination. It's so good.
0: <laughs> we, we
2: get it, Joey. We get it. All right. We're going to move on now to one of the polar opposites of Golgari. That's the Boros color combination. Uh, here we're looking for the most unique Boros commander. And I don't think it will surprise any of you uh, to hear what it is. The most unique Boros color... Uh, the most unique Boros Commander, is Depala, Pilot Exemplar. Three mana, three three dwarf pilot that gives other dwarves you control, plus one, uh, gives other vehicles you control that are creatures, plus one, and which you can use to search for some dwarves or vehicles whenever she crews one of those vehicles. This has a uniqueness score of 63, which I believe is the highest that we've talked about so far, and... It just isn't going to be surprising at all that this is a very unique take on a Boros commander. While most Boros commanders are interested in attacking people and doing all of the damages, Depala is crewing some vehicles and looking for, again, one of those specific tribes. So that makes it very disparate from the other things that you would typically see in a Boros deck.
0: Yeah, any of these narrow, almost tribal, or, or specifically tied to a certain mechanic, any of these types of legends are going to be fairly narrow, which means they block out a lot of what else the other commanders in the color combination might be doing. DePaul is another example of this. She's the only legendary creature that really cares about dwarves and Boros, and then probably one of the only legendaries that cares specifically about, you know, vehicles as well. So it's very narrow because the, the card text kind of tells you how to be building that deck.
2: Indeed. I had kind of expected that maybe Firesong and Sunspeaker would be the most unique Boros commander because it specifically uh, cares about life gain or even that my lovely commander Feather the Redeemed might be one of the most unique ones, but they are still you know going to be running a lot of the more traditional things that you would see, whereas Tapala has to very actively devote a lot of card slots to get enough dwarves and vehicles to make her ability to go digging for those things you know worth it. You have to have a high density of those cards for her to actually find so that budges out a lot of the room for the typical Boro staples that you might see
1: last here we have the most unique simic commander and that's edric spymaster of tress and elf rogue edric has the ability whenever a creature deals damage to another player uh that creature's controller may draw a card so i would guess originally edric was intended to be some kind of a political commander to discourage people to swing in other directions um Primarily now he's built in in a way where you just run all the small evasive things possible and draw all the all the cards And then maybe take an extra turn and do that again where you draw all all the cards Um, so It's kind of a unique deck in that regard, and the things you're gonna run to enable that strategy.
2: A lot of one mana one ones in that Edric deck, which is not something
1: you're gonna see in any of the other things that you get for Simic. Yeah, nobody else in Simic is running scrib Sprites or Cloud Pirates. (laughs) Right. Both of which are fantastic in Edric and trash in any (laughs) other Simic deck for the most part.
2: Yeah, the MO for Simic is much more, I'm gonna play all the lands, draw all the cards, maybe there are some specific tribes such as Merfolk or Elves that will show up, but tends to be really, really big creatures and especially plus one counters are huge for Simic. And all of those things Edric just does not give a crap about like at all. He's just not interested in any of those. He just wants to hit people with a bunch of one and eventually find a Beastmaster Ascension to make those one a lot bigger. Alrighty, we are going to take a brief pause from looking at all of these really unique commanders and do one of our favorite segments, Challenge the Stats. There's a lot of information here on EDHREC but we don't always agree with that. Sometimes we think cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too little play. So what we like to do is challenge those numbers to find find the overplayed cards and the underplayed gems. Matt, let's start with you. What is your challenge to stats for this week?
0: So this week, I'm going to bring one. Joey, you love your Golgari, so I'm going to pick on Golgari. It only seems fair. Okay. So (laughs) this past week, uh, I was playing some games, saw somebody playing a Jared Golgari Lichlord deck, and Jared cares about uh, having a bunch of creatures in your graveyard because he gets bigger. He can sacrifice another creature, and uh, each opponent loses life equal to sacrificed creature's power. And there's one card in there, I can see why they would want to put it in there, but I, I didn't like the way it, it felt and the way it looked because it actively seemed to be going against what Jared wanted to be doing. That card I'm saying is a little overplayed is Pelucronos Unchained, so that is the new Pelucronos out of Theros Beyond Death. New Pelucronos is two in Golgari colors, so black and a green, for a zero zero, 0 but enters the battlefield with six plus one plus one counters on it, and if it escaped, it enters with 12 plus one plus one counters. And if damage would be dealt to Palukranos while it has a plus one, plus one counter, you prevent it, remove that many counters. You can also pay uh, one in Golgari colors to have Palukranos fight another target creature. Or what really matters is escape for four in a green and a black, and you exile six other cards from your graveyard. Now, the reason that I really didn't think that Pelucranos was what Jared wants to be doing is because the escape cost is so, so high. You exile six other cards from your graveyard. When you look at the average Jared deck, there are a ton of creatures that care about having you know, cards in your graveyard, specifically creature cards. You have cards like Nighthowler, you have Glorspore Shaman, you have Splinter Fright. All these creatures want as many creature cards in the graveyard as possible. Pelucronos gets those cards out of your graveyard. If you were playing something like Sir Conrad of the Grim, which is, you know, a very popular card for Jared Dex too, that might be good because you're getting creatures in and out of the graveyard. But you have so many more creatures like Golgari Grave Troll that actively want as many creatures in the graveyard as possible, not to mention Jared gets smaller himself the more creatures you exile with Pelucranos. I think 24% of Jared decks since, since Pelucranos came out have been putting him in there. I think that number is just a smidge too high. I think if you're trying to maximize the amount of creatures in your graveyard, Pelucranos takes them out and it's not what the deck wants to be doing.
2: Interesting. I I would really enjoy seeing the Pelucanos because you get a huge thing out of the graveyard that Gerard can then sacrifice to deal a bunch of damage to your opponents. That's pretty clearly the reason why it would be put into that many Gerard decks. But that is an interesting interplay. It does sort of directly contrast a lot of the other things that the Gerard decks are doing. I know, for example, that they also run a lot of cards like Lurgoif or Mortivore, which also get bigger. So... I don't know. I, I still think that I'm on board with it, but I can see how it does actively go against some of the other popular cards for that strategy, too. And that is an interesting push and pull dynamic to certainly be aware of when you do put that card into the deck.
0: Yeah, if, if a Zony Thousand-Eyed weren't such a popular card in the deck, you know, there there's 48% of Jared decks playing a Zony, which when it enters the battlefield, you create a 1-1 token for every creature card in your graveyard. You have so many different cards that care specifically about, you know, when something happens— count the number of creature cards in your graveyard, I think you have to build the deck specifically to take advantage of Polychronos, and I don't think that this Jared deck, or just a lot of Jared decks, if you look at the average deck, are really doing that.
2: Yeah, it's it's a cool one for sure. I still think that I would want to try it out sure. because getting a 12-12 that Gerard can sacrifice to just clock me for, for 12, I mean, that sounds amazing. But I also love Golgari a whole lot and it would be kind of painstaking to of those cards from their graveyard. So that's definitely something to think about and I like that you're bringing it up there. But we can't f- talk for too long about Golgari, much as I would love to do that.
1: Uh, so <laughs> let's move on to the next challenge. That's Dana's. So my challenge of stats is for a card from way back in the original Zendikar block. It's an instant speed Seven mana colorless spell. Technically, it's a tribal instant Eldrazi, um, not of this world. And not of this world says counter target spell or ability that targets a permanent you control. Not of this world costs seven less to cast if it targets a spell or ability the targets a creature you control with power seven or greater. And I'm essentially challenging this in any deck where your commander by default has a power of seven or greater. Um, you know, uh, just looking at the most popular commander's list, there's three right there. Galt of Primal Hunger, Gishat Sun's Avatar, and the Ur-Dragon. So basically, it's a free spell that stops someone from targeting your commander with a spell or ability, presumably that would kill it or take control of it or something.
2: That is very, very interesting. I I feel like usually when I see one of those types of big commanders, they tend to be accompanied by a whole bunch of other things, which means my concern tends to be more on the board wipe front than the single target removal spell that not of this world would protect against. But at the same time, a lot of those commanders help get the ball rolling. You mentioned Gishath, for example, which just dumps a bunch of dinosaurs into play. So having something to protect it for free that genuinely no one will expect at all can actually be a good way to get that ball rolling to get those things into the first place. That way no one can path you in the middle of combat. That's a really cool pick, Dana.
1: I'm on board with this. This is cool. Yeah. I I love this pick too. Like if this was just a spell that didn't even say that it had to protect a creature, um, that had power seven or greater, like if you had a colorless spell that just said, you can cast this for free to counter a spell or ability that targets your commander, that's probably worth running a spell just to save your commander that costs no mana. And, you know, this is essentially that in some decks, plus if you need to, you can hard cast it to save something else. That's, yeah, that's decent flexibility. That is
2: indeed a unique card here. Very befitting of the podcast topic today because people are not going to see that coming because it's a free colorless spell. What in the world? That's amazing. Alright, let's move on now to my challenge. I'm looking at one of my darling commanders, also Golgari. That is, of course, Marin of Clan Neltoth. But there's a weird thing going on on her page that I kind of want to nitpick at just a little bit. Uh, Marin is wonderful. You love getting stuff back from the graveyard. And one of the things that you especially love getting back is a card like Wood Elves, which gets you lands. And then you can sacrifice the Wood Elves and get experience and get the Wood Elves back and then get more lands. It's really great because it finds you forests and that's cool. And Wood Elves shows up in 56% of Meryn decks, probably owing to the fact that it actually came in Maron's preconception. Constructed deck. But a card that isn't showing up very often in her list is Farhaven Elf, which is a lot like Wood Elves. it's also 3 mana, it's also a 1-1, and it can find any basic land in your deck and puts it into play tapped, so you can actually get a swamp with the Farhaven Elf or a forest, it will just be tapped, but since you tend to be reviving things at the end of your turn, that's usually not too much skin off your back. Farhaven Elf, curiously, only shows up in 16% of Marin lists, as opposed to Wood Elf's 56% of Marin lists, and I just think that's wrong. I think that Farhaven Elf should definitely be a lot higher. If you like Wood Elves in your Marin deck, I think that Farhaven Elf should be near the same popularity there, too, because more redundancy, more mana advantage for a commander that loves to get all of those ETB effects over and over again is going to serve you really well. So those numbers should be a lot closer than they currently are.
0: I don't know. I I think Wood Elves is significantly better than Farhaven Elf, though. I don't know if the number should be similar or close significantly better just because it can get the overgrown
2: tomb. Farhaven Elf, you'll already have a forest in play when you cast it, so it'll help you get a swamp. It still fixes your mana.
0: I I think that Wood Elves effectively costs one mana. You have to have three, but you get an untapped land out of it too, so early game. Well, that would make it cost effectively two mana because
2: you're paying three and then getting one mana untapped. Even then, I still think that you want as many redundant mana advantage effects, particularly on creatures in Marin, as you can because this is not a commander that's going to enjoy it if you're playing mana ramp spells as opposed to creatures so you need to fill the deck with a whole lot of those especially if they're skull clampable because that's really really fun
0: see i mean at that point when you just want a bunch of like you, you do want to secure a tribe elder on as your your second wood elf i, I oh you don't just that... want
2: two it's second wood elves there's no second Wood. there's tons of them you need lots of lots <laughs> of men. Mana... are, are right. you trying to golgari explain this to me matt I, how i, did... I am golgari explaining <laughs> You're welcome. Oh goodness! Uh, I'm is it explaining So is it because I <laughs> challenged your challenge that you're challenging mine?
0: I'm I'm just saying I I think that Wood Elves getting getting an untapped land I think you might be underselling a little bit especially like in turns like four and five, where you can cast two spells in one turn, that's where I think Wood Elves, for me at least, has always been especially impressive.
2: My challenge is not that Wood Elves is too high. If anything, Wood Elves is not high enough, but I also think that Farhaven Elf should be a whole lot higher than just 16% of lists because the effect is similar enough to definitely warrant inclusion, and a whole lot more than just 16%. But we've lingered far too long on Golgari again. I'm sorry. That's definitely my bad. I just love the color combination too much. Let's move on now, looking back at those most unique commanders. We've moved out of the mono colors we've moved out of the guilds we're going to start looking at those shards and those wedges so let's get us started off with our first one that is esper the white the blue the black what is our most unique esper commander so our
1: most unique uh commander in the esper colors is varina lich queen varina is a zombie wizard that says whenever you attack with one or more zombies draw that many cards then discard that many cards and you gain that much life you can also spend two mana to exile two cards from your graveyard and create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token Uh, varina has a uniqueness rating of 70 um, you know, there's nothing else in the Esper colors that really care about zombies at all, and this commander came out right after we got a bunch of white zombies in the Amon Cat block, which was a fairly unique thing at the time as well. So, you know, people had zombie cards, they got a commander that cared about zombies and that also had access to white it was just kind of a perfect storm of running unique cards in a deck that nothing else in that color combination ran.
2: Yeah, Esper, you've got tons of stuff for life gain or enchantments or for top deck manipulation, but Zombies, this is, I think, one of the only commanders where you're very profitably going to be able to use the white zombies from the Almonkhet block. So even though Zombies is really popular in Demir, adding just one more white makes this a much more unique commander, even if Zombies themselves are a more well-known strategy in a different color combination. All right, moving out of Esper, 70 uniqueness on Verena. That's amazing. Moving out of Esper, what is our next one in the Grixis color combination? Well,
0: if you think 70 is a pretty amazing number, get ready for this. 78 is the uniqueness score on this one. Admiral Beckett Brass, which is the Grixis pirate commander, Uh, One in Grixis colors, so a blue, a black, and a red. For a 3-3 human pirate, other pirates you control get plus one, plus one when Admiral Beckett Brass is on the battlefield. And also, at the beginning of your end step, gain control of target non-land permanent controlled by a player who has dealt combat damage by three or more pirates this turn. That is a massive number 78 uniqueness score. There's over 932 Beckett Brass decks out there. They're just finding literally every part they can. This is like a Eula, only just amplified even more.
2: Yeah, this will actually take the cake as our number one most unique commander representative from its color combination. Seventy-eight is the highest uniqueness score out of all of the commanders that we are discussing today. So kudos to Admiral Beckett Brass. You are doing something that no other Grixis commander is doing, which I think is actually really interesting because one of the things that I've found whenever I've considered brewing a Grixis commander is that they tend to all be actually really unique unto themselves. Themselves. there isn't a whole lot of overlap throughout most of the uh, different Grixis commanders out there. You have something like Kess, for example, which can do a lot of spell slinging, and then you have something like Nikusar, which does a lot of wheeling. After that, you've got stuff like Enala, which is a lot of wizard tribal. Marchesa, which is a lot of plus one counters and sacrificing. Like, there isn't a quote-unquote good stuff, necessarily, Grixis commander, in the ways that you might find in other colors, where it's a bit more generic value-minded. So having a unique Grixis commander is all the more important, because a lot of the Grixis commanders are Already themselves very unique. So kudos to Beckett Brass for making herself unique, even among a group of very unique commanders.
0: It also should be noted, too, that Admiral Beckett Brass' uniqueness score of 78. There's only 78 pirates in the game, so that's probably <laughs> why. <laughs>
2: Very, very nice. That's excellent. All right, moving on now to Jund, our most unique Jund commander with a uniqueness score of 54. This is Thantis, the War Weaver, a six mana, five, five spider with vigilance and reach that gives me nightmares because spiders. Oh, goodness. Uh, anyway, all creatures have to attack each combat if able while Thantis is in play. And whenever a creature attacks you or a work you control, Thantis gets a plus one, plus one counter. I actually tried building a Thantis deck and I was pretty happy with the results, but eventually I defaulted to Lord Wind grace because I like lands and I like death and I like land death and it was a whole lot of fun. But the forced combat strategy for Jund definitely is going to be a lot more unique than what I just mentioned, the landfall stuff or the sacrifice stuff that you tend to see with a lot of the other Jund color combinations. So yeah, I can totally see a world where Phantas becomes our most unique because it's not doing as much of the sacrifice stuff that you usually associate with the Jund commanders.
1: And there's a couple other unique strategies you can do in this deck. You know, if you want to do some kind of a plus one counters theme, you can that here that's not something you typically see in jund Uh, if you wanted to do a spider tribal um you know this would be a effective commander for that just as it's a Jund spider you're gonna be running spiders in that deck in a way that you're just not in any other Jund deck. So there's a couple of other factors here, ways you can build the deck that are also bringing in unique cards and that help explain that 54 uniqueness rating.
2: Yeah, once again with the tribal, that's a great observation, absolutely. What is our next unique commander? The
1: most unique card in the Naya colors is Ural the Miststalker, a 5-5 beast. Ural the Miststalker can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control. And Yurl gets plus two, plus two for each aura attached to it. Um, Ural has a uniqueness rating here of 53 that's pretty clearly explained by the fact that it's probably the only Enchantress deck you're going to run in that color combination. So you're running, you know, a lot of auras and actual Enchantresses in this deck that you're not running in anything else than Naya Colors.
2: Not just Enchantress, but also Voltron. Like, this is one of those commanders I associate with being sort of the old guard of commanders, such as Rafik, for example, that were really, really powerful back in the day. But man, I've played against a year old deck recently, and um, it's still really, really powerful.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that is such a, a huge. It's because natural hexproof on on Ural. That's so powerful. Uh, um, also, I looked it up to, to verify. Ural actually has been eroded to say hexproof versus just can't be targeted. So that is somewhat relevant for things like um, arcane lighthouse mm. or detection tower, what have you. It is an ability that can be removed. Just thought I would mention that.
2: Good observation. Awesome. Yeah, Ural is oh, hits like an absolute truck. That one. All right, moving on now to the Bont color combination. Our most unique commander here is Arcades, the Strategist, four mana, Elder Dragon. It is a three-five with flying and vigilance. And whenever a creature with Defender enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. Not only that, but each creature you control with Defender assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power, and it can attack as though it didn't have Defender. Arcades is showing up with a very high uniqueness score, not quite high as Beckett Brass, but it is still a uniqueness score of seventy-five, and they're. Can be absolutely no mystery. It is definitely dedication to a theme here. All of the other bunk commanders, they just don't need all of those defenders. They're doing other stuff. They don't need a bunch of walls that Arcades clearly loves.
0: Yeah, this type of strategy usually shows up in our next commander, but we'll we'll talk about Arcades just for a hair. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's defender and, and more importantly getting defender off of creatures is very, very unique to Arcades, So you get to abuse the different walls that you know never have a chance to shine.
2: Yeah. Oh, and by the way, pro tip, because I actually have a Arcades deck in my regular play group. Pro tip for Arcades: play a lot of blink effects such as Ghostway and Eerie Interlude because you'll blink a lot of the defenders and draw a lot of cards and it will be very difficult to stop you. I'm not salty about the Arcades player that I know. I'm not salty at all. <laughs> they don't routinely beat me with their Arcades deck. That doesn't happen. I promise
0: you. Anyway, let's move on from this one and talk about our next color combat that's obzon so this one we have doran the siege tower sir mixalot himself uh black green and a white for an o5 legendary tree folk shaman each creature assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power oh sounds familiar yeah very familiar few important differences though uh doran does not remove defender doesn't make the defenders be able to attack but also applies to all you know more than just defenders so you can have an o4 Treefolk, for example And that will basically just turn into a 4-4 when Doran comes into the battlefield. So also cares about the big butts, the big toughness creatures, and just being able to just turn them sideways and, and really beat some face.
2: Indeed. Really cool to see. There's not a ton of obson commanders out there. You have Gave Guru Spores, you've got Carador, there's a lot of tokens or some graveyard interaction. So there's not too much to sort of separate yourself from most of the other offerings from on there. Uh, but Doran is still, I'm not just going to say one of the most unique Abzan commanders, but like the Toughness matters is also just a very unique strategy in general, and more than once whenever I've played against an, a Doran deck, because it affects everyone, not just the Doran player's field, everyone, that becomes very difficult to remember, and it can totally trip you up during gameplay when you forget how your creatures are actually dealing damage.
0: When Doran was almost ahead of its time when that card came out, because it was doing something completely different that you know no other commander was doing, and even to this day, there's one other commander that's kind of on board with what Dorn was doing. But like you said, it renders a lot, it renders red decks almost useless because they, they're all about, oh, target creature gets plus three plus oh. Well, <laughs> that's useless when a Dorn is on the battlefield. So it's it's interesting. I've played against Dorne a couple times with Valduk, for example, and your elementals being effectively one ones that makes a world of difference. So Dorn is not just a good kind of weird offensive, but a very, very good defensive commander as well.
1: Yeah, Oh, really great card. Let's move from Obzon now into Jeskai. Who we got for Jeskai? So looking at the Jeskai color combination, this one's kind of strange. Um, it just says, knows that Jeskai commanders are good enough to even be rated here. So we can probably just skip right past this one and move on to something else. <laughs> Shade! <laughs> No. So, with a uniqueness rating of 58, Zedru the Greathearted is a legendary creature, Minotaur Monk. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may gain X life and draw X cards, where X is a number of permanents you own that your opponents control. You can also spend three mana, red, white, blue. Target opponent gains control of target permanent you control. So... A lot of times you're you're running cards that give things away in addition to that durability, or you're running cards that are actively bad to have control of. Um, those are just things that you don't see ran in any other deck, basically at all, let alone in the Jeskai colors. I, I, I'm i sorry. I I
2: still can't get over that you called Jeskai bad. Like, I know I love Golgari a whole lot, so you think I would be on board, but I swear to goodness, the next time that you play at a Magic Fest, someone's going to come over with their Ar- Narset Enlightened and Master and show you that Jeskai's actually really, really powerful. <laughs>
0: I, I hope it happens just to Dana and then Joe and I just get to watch. And I hope it's I hope it's a five-player game. Uh, and that's what makes Zedru so cool, honestly.
2: Like, it's not just that this is unique. That's also, like, once again, we're getting on commanders that are unique to, like, the entirety of magic. This isn't just unique among Jeskai, which is usually associated with spell slinging and prowess and things like that. Like, giving away your stuff is... Not just unique, it is a counterintuitive strategy. It can be really, really cool, but it's very, very bizarre. And I still, to this day, have no idea how I'm supposed to play against his Zedru deck because I don't, I'm not used to people giving me their stuff. It's so strange. I'm used to them taking it away
1: yeah it, it's, you know a lot of the cards are ones you just flat out don't see anywhere else allusion to grandeur or delusions mediocrity that kind of thing
0: well and joey you, you said the deck is very bizarre and i i tend to agree because they you're right they do play a lot of bizarre trader oh in that deck
2: bizarre how dare you i can't believe it. no no
0: more puns your dad joke is relegated to the beginning of this show not. i during- got you <laughs> if we had a gotham count on this podcast i'd be at like four
2: Excellent, excellent stuff. Oh my goodness. All right, let's move on now from Jeskai into Sultai, one of my other favorite color combinations. Our most unique Sultai commander is Kadena, Slinking Sorcerer, the amazing Morph commander. Four mana, 3-3 three, three, Naga Wizard, the first face-down creature spell that you cast each turn, costs three generic mana less to cast, so... Basically free for most morphs, and you can draw cards whenever face-down creatures enter the battlefield under your control, which also counts manifests for those face-down creatures, which is really, really great. Kadena is doing something that none of the other soul tide decks are doing, because I can attest to this, having built a lot of soul tide decks, we tend to like our graveyards. Like a whole lot. Like like a, a whole, whole lot. And... Kadena likes morphs, which is different, and I, I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how to feel about commanders that don't like graveyards. It's a, it's a weird place for me to be among this whole type. But yeah, very, very unique strategy. All of the morphs love to go here for Kadena.
0: Yep, she's just doing another one of those very mechanic-specific type of decks. And so, yeah, you, you get a lot of uniqueness to that because... Like you said, every every Sultai commander is doing something graveyardy, and along comes this slinking sorcerer who happens to just, no, I just want to play some creatures. That's cool. Yeah.
2: Very, very slinking indeed, doing something very mysterious, even to those of us who love our Sultai. All right, let's move now to Mardu, who is our most unique Mardu commander.
0: So our most unique Mardu commander is Papa Halloween himself, Edgar Markov. Uh, Three in Mardu colors, that is black, red, and white, for a 4-4 Vampire Knight Legend, has eminence, so whenever you cast another vampire spell, if Edgar Markov is on the command zone or on the battlefield, you create a 1-1 black vampire creature token. Edgar Markov also has First Strike and Haste, but I don't think that's ever mattered. And then also, whenever, whenever Edgar Markov attacks, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control. Edgar has a uniqueness score of 54, so not quite as much as we're used to the past few commanders, but still a pretty significant number. Papa Halloween? <laughs> Papa Halloween. He is always ready for a good, spoopy monster mash. Oh, uh, my goodness. This reminds me a lot of Verena,
2: I think. like There is a tribal element going on for this for sure, too, that isn't necessarily as representative for the other Mardu offerings that we typically get.
1: I think you also get some differentiation here among the individual Edgar Markov vampire tribal decks. Um, I remember when this was first released, um, Matt and I really quickly were talking about building Edgar decks and having this discussion. Mm-hmm, we did. And the conclusion we came to right away was that you wanted to run every single cheap, generic one-drop zombie you could run, excuse me, one-drop vampire, maybe bounce them back to your hand to replay them to just generate all the tokens you can get and kind of almost treat it like an Edric Firemaster Trest go-wide deck. <laughs> um, but not everyone does that. A lot of people then are running like the big, fun, beater vampires so not only is it unique in this color pair that it cares about vampires you have different breeds of vampire deck that are running different cards so there's just a lot of unique stuff here that isn't being ran anywhere else in mardu colors yeah
2: absolutely and this has helped along by the fact that even though Ed, uh, edgar markov came in a vampire tribal commander deck the other two commanders from that deck had really nothing to do with vampire tribal so edgar really got to uh you know take in all of that uniqueness all to himself for that particular tribe all right let's move on now to our final three color combination teamer
1: last but not least we have Omnath, a locus of the royal a legendary elemental creature when Omnath, Locust of the Royal, enters the battlefield, it deals damage to any target equal to the number of elementals you control. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one counter on target elemental. If you control eight or more lands, draw a card. Yeah, I mean, it, similarly to a lot of these decks we've talked about, this is a, a commander that's encouraging you to run a specific tribe. So you're going to have some density of elementals here that you just probably aren't going to have in any other decks and his color combination. It just cares about elementals, and that's a little bit unique here to this commander.
2: I'm not even sure if he necessarily needs a lot of elementals. I've seen Omnath lists that are devoted wholly to the landfall strategy and don't really care as much about the elemental ability. It's sort of incidental, like if you get multiple Omnaths, like the old, the original Gruul Omnath that also just makes a ton of elementals anyway, then the new Omnath can sort of bank off of those. Um, But you don't necessarily need a lot of elementals to make Omnath really good. And even that, even if it isn't specifically doing an elemental tribal thing, even if it is just more on the landfall side, that is still unique among teamer commanders because there just aren't that many teamer commanders that we actually have access to. We've got stuff like Animar or Maelstrom Wanderer, but those are going to be in very different directions than an elemental or a landfall build, so a small cast definitely helps out Omnath's uniqueness here. So before we get to our last commander, we have to explain why it's last, and that is because we can't really talk about any of the four-color commanders. As we mentioned at the top of the show, the algorithm that we used to get all of this information couldn't access any of the data for the partner commanders. And the partner commanders are one of the only ways that you can get a four color commander combination. Aside from that, you've got the four-color commanders themselves, such as Atraxa. So for each one of those, they are automatically the most unique commander, because they're the only ones that we were able to draw data from. So congratulations to all of the four-color commanders. You are automatically the most unique of your color combination. So that means that we've only got one left to talk about one final color combination, and that is the five-color commanders. The five-color cast includes many wonderful commanders, but the most unique among them, with a score of 59, is Okagachi Vengeful Kami, which is a little bit weird, and I am going to be perfectly frank, I have to reacquaint myself with what Okagachi Vengeful Kami does, because it's been a minute since I've seen it. Okagachi Vengeful Kami is a 6-mana Dragon Spirit, 6-6 six six Flying and Trample, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, if that player attacked you during their last turn, you can exile target non permanent that player controls. This struck me as being really weird to be the most unique of all of the commanders among five colors, but looking through its page, it's pretty easy to see why folks love Okagachi for that Kamigawa flavor. When you go through there, you see a ton of the spirits, a ton of the oyobis who split the heavens, Niko, Ona... Yuki, Ona, Loam Dweller cards that I haven't even considered in years because I just don't remember Kamigawa all that well. And they are definitely finding a home here. People really like going into Okagachi for a Kamigawa flavor deck is definitely what it seems to be. And that is going to make it a lot more unique than any of the other stuff that we see among the five color cast of characters.
1: So I would guess one of the things here is a lot of the five-color commanders that we've gotten, particularly in the last couple of years, are ones that are built to be kind of open-ended. You know, there's exceptions, obviously, but like, you know, take Kenrith, the Returned King. That's a commander that really isn't dictating what you run in the deck. It's letting you outrun whatever you want to run. But I think instead of of being used for something super specific, they wind up being decks that have just a bunch of staples in them. Um, because you can run five colors, you have access to every staple. I think people do tend to kind of tend to run all those staples, and I think um, because of that, the commanders that are specific and directing you down a specific build path probably wind up then being a little more unique because they're not just jamming five colors worth of staples into the deck. They don't have room to do that since they're trying to do a unique strategy.
2: So you mentioned something interesting there that I want to sort of use to put a bow on this whole discussion. We've looked at a lot of the commanders that are unique among the other commanders of their color combination. They stand out from their color combinations for sure. But a lot of the commanders that we talked about, Kadena, Ayula, those are also commanders that came up when we were talking on episode 99 about the low-variance and high-variance commanders. Specifically, a lot of the low-variance commanders show up on the list of the unique commanders that we just talked about, and those were commanders that have a lot of similarities from deck to deck. A Kadena deck tends to look like another Kadena deck and a Eula deck tends to run a lot of the same bears. So the deck sort of builds itself in that way. was one of the observations that we had there. Although a commander's low variance has nothing to do whether it's a lot of fun. Like a low variance commander can totally be a lot of fun. And I think that's also really, really true of the uniqueness here too. Something being unique or non-unique does nothing to tell you whether the commander is actually a lot of fun, just to tell you whether it's different from what the color is already doing. But one of the things that's kind of interesting here, the unique things I just find it's an interesting contrast that the unique commanders that we're talking about here are also the low variance. These are the commanders that sort of build themselves, but that makes them more unique because they're doing something niche that other commanders aren't doing. So that is an interesting push and pull dynamic, another lens to use when you're looking at all of these different commander cards. If you don't want something that sort of builds itself, if you don't want a low variance commander, but you do want something unique, that is kind of an interesting dynamic because a lot of the commanders that are low variance do also tend to be more unique than other commanders of that color combination. So that is sort of a dance that you have to do when you're deciding which commander to build. So that's just one angle that I wanted to bring to this conversation to sort of you know look at the trends that we see among these here. But are there any other observations, any other trends that you guys maybe noticed? Uh, anything else that you want to add before we wrap up
0: our show? Well, on partners, because I, Joey, I know we talked about we didn't include these in the numbers because it's too hard to, to calculate kind of how that algorithm picks up certain partners and pairs them together, etc. I think it might actually be a good thing that we didn't because I think there's, there might have been a really good chance that partners might have just dominated these lists because they would have been so unique because they're kind of tailor-made to be very generic so you could kind of key in. So, you know, a, a Krom and Silas deck, for example, would have been absolutely far and away the most unique Grixis commander or Siddhar uh, Kondo, and Thrasios would have been the most interesting band commanders. And it's probably good because either they would have been completely dominating every single color combination and all we would have talked about this entire episode would have been, Nothing but partners, so I think this gives us a chance to really look at actual commanders, not just partners that you can kind of pick and choose and kind of build your own strategy, but we're actually able to look at specific commanders and what are they doing specifically compared to the typical commanders that stand alone inside of every color combination and and on the other hand, too, you know. Partners tend to be kind of, as Dana puts it, every now and then, good stuff commanders. So maybe it was just been very generic good stuff, and we wouldn't have seen very many, you know, partners. So maybe I'm just making everything up. You can ignore me, but I, I do think that there's a good chance, though, that that partners might have been overrepresented if we were able to include them in these calculations, because I think they would have just stood out in such a weird way that they're doing things completely out of the realm of what these color combinations normally would have been doing.
2: And also, we should mention that these are just the general trends that we tend to see and every person's deck is going to be probably pretty... I mean, we love doing really strange, unique things with our decks too. Dana, for example, you're famous for doing that. You've got a Vela the Nightclad deck that is all about artifacts, for example. So even among commanders that maybe show a high or a low uniqueness score or something like that, there are still ways to find other versions of uniqueness and uniqueness is definitely going to matter Not just respective to the other data that you're seeing here on the website, but also the data among your meta or among your particular list of decks, too. And once again, a card's uniqueness doesn't necessarily mean that it's good or better than other cards from that color combination. It's just a fun lens that we wanted to provide to uh, sort of evaluate the colors in a bit different of an eye, to take a different look at them. Because... You know, when I think of mono-black, I think of a lot of death. I think of big mana with cabal coffers. But, I mean, King Makar is doing something completely different. And it's fun to remember what these colors are capable of because they they have so much diversity to them. And it's fun to find those other strange strategies, especially when you're sitting across the table, to get a really unique game of Commander in with them, too. And as one final note, I'd love to throw out there that on our next episode, we'll be talking about the least unique commanders. We looked at all the most unique commanders for each color combination, but next time we're going to be looking at the least unique commanders to see the colors that are a lot more classic and doing a lot of the other stuff that you typically associate with that color combination. See what we can find there. You'll have to hold on to your hats until we get there, though, because for now... I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all?
0: Matt? You can find me on the Twitter and also you find my stream on Twitch at Mathemus55.
1: That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. And you can hear me a couple times a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDH
2: RecCast on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDH Rec's data, or maybe a challenge that's stats pick that you think we should know about you can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the command zone for handling the post-production on the podcast do an amazing job at bringing all of this amazing information to you in a really awesome way we cannot thank them enough for all of the cool work that they've done to bring this podcast to a whole new level and thanks as well to EDHRX sponsors TCG Player and CardKingdom.com if you are interested in picking up any of the cards that we talked about on this episode whether you're on a high budget or a low budget or you can just click the links that they provided on the cards right on EDH Rec. and if you buy from Card Kingdom, you can visit cardkingdom.com/ Rec to get those awesome cards and support the show. So thanks again to Card Kingdom and TCG Player for being our sponsors. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.